Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Evening Drums. We're going to do this for about an hour when Matt Robinson's in the chat room saying that it's weird with the new location and that it is uh, going to take a while. Uh, don't get too used to this location, brother. This is corporate housing. I got one more move uh, to make here in New York City. Oh, yeah, by the way, I now live in New York City. I don't think I said anything uh, the last go around about when I was moving or how that was going to go. But now I am in New York City. Uh, in large part, I didn't say anything about it before because I ain't feel like dealing with people until I felt like dealing with them. So I got here a uh, week ago Monday and um, I was just like, OK, let me get a week, get around here a little bit. Then after that, we'll get back to work and we'll start, you know, telling people what the deal is. But I imagine most of y'all knew that uh, the time in Miami was short. I think it indicated the time in Miami was going to be short. And now I am here in the big old apple of New York City. Skyscrapers. Everything. Now, let me tell you an interesting thing that has happened to me since I got to New York. Now, I don't know necessarily. Like, I think you'll find this funny, right? So uh, my little brother James, you know, got his show on Comedy Central. It's called Hooded Jason. It's actually really good, right? Like, I would not tell you that if I did not believe it. Like, if I did not believe that the show was good, I would tell you that it was on, and then I'd leave it at that. But I feel like James has put together a real good show there. It's called Hooded Jason. It airs on Wednesday nights on Comedy Central. So anyway, James uh, was up here doing some media rounds and he did the Daily Show on Wednesday. He's like, yo, come through. We're going to do the Daily Show. I said, okay, cool. So um, I ride with him to go and do the Daily Show. And, you know, like, it's a big fucking deal, right? Like, it was very interesting to be there with him and, like, really see uh, the, like, the excitement. Like, for me, hanging around with James, now he's got this TV show. Like, I was talking to him. I was talking to another buddy uh, the other day, or yesterday, rather, who um, has just gotten his own TV show. And I'm telling him, I'm like, yo, man, the thing you got to remember about getting this TV show is getting the TV show is its own victory. Like, I remember when I got on Highly Questionable, um, I was talking to the man Rod, black guy who tips. And he told me something that I always have to take with me. He was like, look, man, here's what you got to understand. Because I have a tendency to downplay these things. And he's like, look, man, I listen to a lot of these comedy podcasts, you know, all that stuff. And he's like, the more I listen to those, the more I realize that if you're trying to do a television show, like get on TV or something like that. Victory really isn't like having a television show for 15 years or something like that. Like, you like that, but that's not really what victory is. Victory is having a television show that goes on the air. Like, seriously, if you can get a show to the air, like, do you realize how many people are trying to be on television? And then how many people are trying to put together shows and concepts and all this stuff? Like, if you get a television show on television, You've won, right? Everything on top of that is gravy. And now it's not even necessarily like you won in a way that means that you don't ever have to do anything else because you've gotten a show on television. It's not winning like that, but getting there is a victory. And I think it's really easy for people once they've gotten there to then immediately move to, okay, now this has to be a success and try to work everything out. Yeah, yeah, like you want your shit to be as quote unquote successful as possible according to whatever the metric is that is being used to determine success. But 
getting the show is a win. And so I've been talking to James about that, like at the hotel before we rolled over to the location. It's just like, yo, man, you won by getting here. Because I didn't know anything about what the numbers were or what his suits were telling him or anything else. I just wanted him to know it. Never forget at any point. Like, you did this. You got a television show on the air. And, like, in comedy, no less. Like, you got on Comedy Central. Like, everybody out here that's out here telling jokes and everything else and got some kind of agent or something like that is trying to put together some pilot to get on. And Comedy Central is, like, one of the easy places that they want, you know, one of the, like, obvious places that you try to go. So all those people who are trying to do that, like, yo, you got it, right? And so then I'm there for the Daily Show, and I didn't fully get how excited he was about, like, the like the basic idea of being on the daily show until I saw him when he hit stage. And so for me, like I call James, my little brother, James is not my little brother by blood, but James is my little brother. Right. Like it's actually funny because Neil Brennan, uh, the co-creator of Chappelle's show, he was there. Uh, he did the show that day. And so he's walking there and James, like James acts like my little brother too. James is talking to Neil. He's like, yo, that's my big brother there. Like, you know, he's sitting down and trying to make me do my homework and stuff. And it was funny because Neil looked at it like Neil didn't give a fuck. Neil was like, well, thank you, I guess, <laughs> because, of course, it's also Neil Brennan. Uh, but anyway, like, it was real cool to be there with him um, in that moment. The homie Roy was there. I got to catch up with him. You know, it's a peep game, though. Uh, your man, uh, Trevor Noah comes down, right? And so, like, Trevor's got a barber who's there. because You know, brothers be coming to the show, and you want to get, you know, you get a chair, right? So he's got a barber. That's there. Apparently, that's a very big deal that it makes it into the story. That now all of a sudden there's a barber, which honestly is having a barber on site really isn't terribly different than having a makeup person on site. But, you know, anyway, uh, so Trevor comes down and, you know, he shakes hands with James. And then, you know, James got his mad less with him. So he hollers at less. And then I'm like, hey, how are you in Bomani? And I was, you know, I've been kind of like I've done daily show. Well, not done it. But, you know, I've been on a feature for The Daily Show. So, like, a lot of people that work on the show are aware of me. And he looks at me and goes, oh, yes, from the Twitter. Like, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. Like, that, that is how Trevor, Trevor knows, oh, the Twitter. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's it, the Twitter. And so we talked a little bit. Uh, somebody asked who was better at, like, roasting uh, the trolls or whatever, they asked uh, if it was me and Ty Lib. And he said he liked me more because he thought that Ty Lib was really getting bothered and he got that I was having fun. And I kept it to myself. I was like, you should have been there that day. It was me versus Ty Lib. Ty Lib was heated. And I sent him the YouTube link to Carl Thomas Emotional. And honestly, when I did that in the midst of that back and forth, I really didn't feel like people gave me enough credit for the domino I just dropped. Like, I really thought that was a very impressive move on my part in the uh, 21st century battle tweet. Yeah, the Twitter. So, yes, in case you're curious, if you ever see Trevor Noah and you're my friend, just go tell him, you know, my buddy from the Twitter. Except I don't think that Trevor Noah would remember the Twitter part because he just says Twitter. You know, that's just how he says Twitter. It's just a Twitter. And me, you know, because the other thing, too, is like a South African accent is not an accent you hear very often, right? So, uh, Twitter. By the way, somebody is saying Talib was the uh, best interview I ever did. Uh, a 40-year-old Talib is much more at peace. 
believe it or not, I have interviewed Talib not once, not twice, but three times. He was one of the very first people I'd interviewed. And I just kept interviewing. And I've seen him live like three times. I saw him at the Century Club once. Met a girl that night. Uh, I'm still like, have, like, I could call her today if I needed to, but I met a girl that night. And it was her birthday. And she knew my homeboy. And the next thing I know, we were dancing. And I can't remember if she started kissing me first or she put my hand on her booty first. But it was great. And then I was supposed to go on a date with her the like coming up weekend and on the way there, got into a car accident. And then I got there in my bent up car. And I called the insurance company from my couch. And then we got up in my bent up car and we went to go see that damn movie. So if I did $4,000 worth of damage to my car, we was going to go see the damn movie. But anyway, that night, the Century Club was the bomb. Oh, man, she rolled there like eight, nine deep. Ian, that's right. My homeboy that night was on the, yeah, man, I got to get back. And I'm like, are you sure? Man, Lance said, was that the Akrite? No, it wasn't the Akrite. That was the, uh, the Camry. Yeah, that was the Camry. That is like, that's like, oh, three. That that went down. That was oh three. Yeah, but anyway, uh, I don't even know how I wound up getting to that point. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Roundabout way. Anyway, James went and did that show. So yes, I live in New York City now. I am here um, for uh, I guess a somewhat undetermined period of time. I will be popping up periodically on people's television shows. I will be doing radio. You know, just doing radio. Like, there's going to be sometimes I can't do radio because of what I'm doing. So when I go do PTI, I can't do radio because of when PTI is recorded. Like, I just can't do a radio show. Um, so I got like a week of PTI. Not going to be there. Then after that is the NABJ convention. Ooh, my radio boss is going to be very happy. I'm going to be gone for a long time. Um, but I actually have some days where I'm going to do highly questionable a little bit later. Like, I'm just going to be just kind of around uh, and. I don't think this will come as a terrible shock for those of you who know me or who have followed me for a while, but I got a little more free time than I'm accustomed to having. I have no idea what to do with myself because the free time is like in the morning, you know, like I'm used to doing a conference call at 10 o'clock and then we would record the television show like at one twenty. Like, like that's what I'm accustomed to conference call at 10 o'clock, getting ready for the conference calls, my morning, everything else. Man, I'd be like laying around here, sleeping until I eat something, whatever, get up, go get a croissant from a little bake- bakery like up the street. And then I got no idea what to do with myself. Like, I was like, damn, what time should I go to the radio station? Because I'm used to being there already. Like, I had no idea what to do. It is so crazy, like how you get caught into a certain form and like a level of habit. And I got none of it, right? Like, once I get into the pocket, I'm going to be all right. But like, in the short run, man, I got nothing. I'm just out here aimless. Aimless, <laughs> like I'm having a good job, but I ain't really got no strategy uh, on how it is that I'm doing it. But here I am, New York City. Gonna be living down the street from a brother, gonna be living down the street from a couple of the homies. Had to sell the car. That was rough. Ooh, that was rough. Now, for those of you who don't know the car, and I got to remember, a lot of y'all just kind of drop in. Like, a whole lot of you only know me as the guy from television. But really, on this uh, platform, as much as anywhere else, I got my people 
who go way far back with me, right? So since those people go way far back with me, I can be kind of matter of fact with you about like some of the things and the trappings, you know, that have come with what quote unquote success. Like I'll never tell you about how much money I make or anything like that. Right. But like I told you when I got, you know, when it got me a fancy watch, did I tell you I got a fancy watch? I can't remember if I told you that I had gotten the fancy watch. Did I tell you I got the fancy watch? I imagine somebody in the chat room will let me know if I had told you that I had gotten uh, the fancy watch. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Got the fancy watch. Let you go ahead and get a look at the fancy watch. I guess it looks upside down because of the angle. But I got the, uh, I, got, I went and got the, uh, the fancy watch. And I really hadn't said anything um, about getting the fancy watch because, quite honestly, I was afraid that somebody would rob me for the fancy watch. Now, granted, it is a very understated fancy watch. Um, again, because I didn't want to get robbed for the watch. Um, that being said, when I went to the store to get the watch, they do this really obnoxious thing at the Rolex store where when you buy a watch, they tell you congratulations, right? So I'm paying you like thousands of dollars for this fucking watch. You congratulate me. Congratulate yourself on that commission. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what they do. They tell you congratulations and they give you a glass of champagne, right? So they're 0 for 2 on things. I got anything that I could really do with. Um, by the way, when I went and got that uh, fancy watch, I was there. And I was with somebody, we went in there. And I mean, I'm going to admit, I wasn't looking like what they would consider to be a Rolex buyer, right? I was wearing a Funkadelic t-shirt, hoop and shorts, and some Nike flip-flops. I admit it. But I walk in and I come to find out that when I walk in, there's two people there, the dude and this lady. And the dude, like, nudged the lady like, yeah, you got him. And credit to the lady because she did her job and sold me exactly as you would. Although she kept like hollering me about the, well, you know, we have finance options. And I'm like, Baby, I, don't, I don't, I ain't really got to, I didn't finance the car. Don't worry. Right. Like I decided to do that for myself after I had signed the new contract, you know? So anyway, the lady did a very good, it was very kind and did all that stuff she was supposed to do. But anyway, first watch I picked up, it was that five. It was that five. And I picked it up, and she's like, oh, yes, this is a very beautiful watch. Uh, we only do this watch face in the platinum. I'm like, oh, okay, it's platinum. You know, I don't really understand what that means beyond knowing what platinum is. You think with the platinum? I said, okay. So I'm like, okay, cool. So uh, and how much is this, right? I said, how much is this? She goes, it is $84,000. And so... Like, obviously, I'm not buying an $84,000 watch, right? Like, like I mean, I think everybody knows, right? Like, I'm not buying an $84,000 watch. But I needed to make the pivot off the, the $84,000 watch smoothly enough that I just didn't seem like I was broke, Right? And I didn't really care that much if the woman thought I was broke. I cared about her treating me in this environment like I was broke because I'm actually looking to make a purchase, right? So I was like, oh, okay, that's good. Uh, let me see what else you got here. Because luckily, like the $84,000 watch was the first one. So no matter what, I was going to be looking for a different watch. And I landed tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars below that, by the way. 
So anyway, yeah, she hit me with that eighty-four. It'd be eighty-four thousand dollars. I'm like, whoa, ho, ho. no, 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 can't do eighty-four thousand dollars. But I tell you that story, or I just stumbled after telling you that story into something of a similar situation. So. You know, I pack like suitcases with clothes. Most of my stuff's on the moving truck. She ain't got so much clothes-wise that you can pack. And like when I did that, I only had one bag that I'd planned to check because I only had one big suitcase. But then I went and bought a second suitcase. So I didn't really need to do that, but whatever. I only had one big suitcase. And so I'm trying to stay under the 50 pounds. So I underpacked, right? Like I don't have clothing-wise what you know, I would typically have. I don't have a rotation, right? I only got three shoes. I bought three pairs of 13s up here because 13s are good, you know, all-terrain joints. Uh, so anyway, with that in mind, I was going out on... I had somewhere to be Saturday night and I had somewhere to be on Sunday morning. And I had one polo shirt. Right? I had one polo shirt. And so I need to go buy a polo shirt. And so I looked up, hey, where's the polo store? And so I, I searched for it on the app. And they're like, yeah, the flagship Ralph Lauren store is up at 72nd in Madison. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm just going there and give me a couple polos, right? Horsepower. So I ride a cab to that polo, right? To the polo joint, all right? I get in there. Let me tell you something about that polo store, bro. I don't know how many of you guys have ever worked retail before, but I have worked retail. And one thing about working retail is after you work retail, you get really good at folding shirts, right? Like your shirt folding game gets strong, okay? Now, you know what it is, man. You walk in the store or whatever, and you see them, uh, you know, you see everything folded up and whatever it is stacked up. You know, and they do a good job. Man, I have never seen a stack of shirts folded more immaculately than I saw in that polo store. I just couldn't believe it. Like, not a shirt was out of line, out of place. It was if nobody had touched any of those shirts. And I'm like, I don't understand how this is happening. I, wow, man, it was like a super fancy polo store. So I go over there to go look at the polos and they were behind a counter, but nobody was behind the counter. So I figured that anybody could go behind the counter. So I go behind the counter and I'm trying to look and this lady named Svetlana comes over and Svetlana wants to talk to him. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I got this, you know, but apparently I shouldn't have been touching the stack and I can't blame her for the fact that I shouldn't have been touching the stack given that somebody had obviously and clearly put a great deal of effort into that carefully manicured stack. And so I get the pole to go to get the shirt. And she says to me, now, do you know the differences in our polo shirts? And I don't really know, right? But you know what I'm thinking she's talking about the differences in the polo shirts. Like those of y'all to be really out here buying polos know what I'm talking about, right? When somebody asks you about the different kinds of polo shirts, what are you thinking when she says the different kinds of polo shirt? That's right. 
Y'all, no, no, not the polo versus the folo, not the cotton. It's like the classic joint, right? The, was it? The interlock, right? You know, they got like, you go look at it. They got the like, those different polo shirts fit differently, but nobody ever remembers what the different polo shirts are. You just wind up with a bunch of polo shirts that don't fit the same. You know what I'm saying? Right. So my man here in the chat room is like only by the interlock. It feels like silk. Like, yeah, there's that. But then there's the one where you can kind of feel the cotton a little bit, but it fits a little tighter, make you feel like you got some swole to you. You know, like it's all the different kinds of polo shirts. So I figured that's what she's talking about. And I'm like, no, tell me about the different kinds of polo shirts, because I figure now I'm about to get like my first actual education on what the difference is between the classic and the interlock and, you know, all the different polo shirts. Right. Now, she explains to me that these are a different kind of polo shirt that they've got on the wall. And I don't remember um, what the, like, what exactly she said about it in that way. I just remember saying, okay, and these are $350. And I'm like, yo. There's a custom fit. That's another one. Thank you for in the chat room. Custom fit. There's another one. I'm like, this $350? What? So, like, in my mind, I have already said, hell no. Right? Like, I'm not buying this polo shirt. But the problem is, she's already gone to the immaculate stack, and she's already pulled one out in the color that I was curious about. And she has explained to me that the cotton is like some kind of combed or something like that and how it's softer and therefore it's more durable. And so now I got this $350 polo shirt in my hand. And she's asking if I want to try it on. And I'm like, hell yeah, I want to try that polo shirt on. And so... I get that, and I go to the dressing room, and I put on a $350 polo shirt. You notice I called it my $350 polo shirt, right? Because it had to come home with me. Now, I am not sure if I believe that polo shirt is worth $350. I'm not. I'm honestly not. And when I bought that polo shirt, my plan was absolutely to wear it and take it back. Oh, yeah. You can get money, but you can't buy class, baby, and I still ain't got none. All right? Like, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to get this. I'm going to wear it. I'm going to braid this thing back. Amen. If I'm ever around you and I'm wearing a great polo shirt, ask me to touch it. Excuse me. Ask me to touch it. Just ask if you can touch it. Because I bought it. I can't believe I let her hit me on that, hit me for that 350. I cannot. Like that's as bad as that time that lady hustled me on that illegitimate cab from the airport. She was looking good, too. So this little Latin lady, she had this long black hair going like halfway down her back. Figure was on kid. She was dressed all black, form-fitting. 
it was right. I'm waiting in the taxi line, and she just, this is years ago, and she just spotted me for the mark, man. Like, she saw me, and she looked at me, she's like, you need a cab? I'm like, yeah, I need a cab. And then I start walking with her. I don't even know where we going. We get in the car. I'm like, cool. Ain't no meter or nothing, though. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm in now. And then we just ride. And we get there, man. She taxed me like 75 bones. And, like, I knew I got got, right? Like, at the end of it, I'm just like, yeah, homie. You got got. Right? Like, I didn't know the city like that. And I don't know how exactly she knew. Because it wasn't like I was looking at her while she was walking the whole way. You know what I'm saying? Like, she just got up on me. She was just instantly like, oh, yeah, he wants this. And I did. I did indeed. You know what I got instead? $75 car ride. Right? And, like, as it happened, I just had to laugh it off right there, man. I was just like, <laughs> you got me. And, like, Svetlana didn't really get me because I always had the option of being like, nah, I don't like how it fits or whatever it was. But part of it, honestly, was that I was like, I don't have time to go find another store. Like, I just don't feel like doing it. Like, this is something that happens to you when you start making a little bit more money. And they be exploiting you. They be exploiting the fact that you got cheese. They do. They do. Like, I'm definitely giving you 1% problems here, right? Like, I'm absolutely giving you 1% problems. But there is a thing about them exploiting you once you get some cheese. And you know what it is they're doing to exploit you once you get some cheese? They're playing on the fact that your time is more valuable than it used to be. And at this point in my life, I don't have time to run all over town to get one shirt. I don't. And so I'm standing there with this $350 shirt in my hand. And I'm just like, put it on the card. Like, I wasn't even trying to prove this about a lot. By the way, I got bored, right? And I downloaded Tinder. I've never used it before, but I'm just like, hey, let's see what's going on. Number one, Tinder is like letting me know I'm a lot pickier than I ever uh, knew I was. Number two, it's a little trickier, like jumping on and using that particular um, application if you are somebody that people feel like they know. Because nobody knew I was in New York City. Somebody I knew, like I actually knew, said be uh, a DM. It was like, yo, are you in New York? I'm like, yo, how the fuck did you know that? And he's like, yeah. I saw it on the uh, saw it on the tender, and I was just like, "Oh, okay." I never used this. So I was just like, kind of curious, right? Like I was just looking at it and it was like, le- you know, doing some left or anything like that. I am fascinated by the ways that people choose to uh, kind of position themselves on there. I am very, very interested because there is a lot of subtlety in. Um, like how people signal who it is that they really want. That's interesting. I also wound up seeing somebody that I knew who was on there. Um, and it was like, yeah, I'm in a relationship, but Polly and looking for somebody else. And I was like, oh, so this explains why it's always so awkward when I'm around you. And I know that you're in a relationship, but it seems like you don't act like it. Oh, look at what I learned on Tinder. I had no idea. 
anyway, yeah. Interesting times as I'm here in uh, New York City. I'm trying to think of anything else inside of New York happened to me. I caught the Amtrak a couple days ago. I had to take a train down to D.C. do PTI. I'd never caught the Amtrak before. Um, not that I want to make things more inconvenient or anything like that, but am I the only person that feels like they're not taking the adequate precautions to make sure we're okay on Amtrak? Right? Like, look, if the airport was like the train station, oh, man, our lives would all be so much more convenient. But I'm assuming that there's a reason why they do all this stuff on the airplane. They don't do none of it on the Amtrak. All they got is a dog who, like, walks in the line and sniffs around a little bit. That was it. Like, I asked Pablo, like, you'd be amazed what a novice I felt like about, like, trying to figure out this this Amtrak thing. So I hit Pablo, and I'm like, okay, so my train leaves at 9. What time do I need to be at the train station? He's like, oh, you don't need to be there until 830. I'm like, this is poppycock. There's got to be some level of security. He's like, actually, no. So I get there a lot earlier because I'm just like, there's no way. Like, I'm not, I'm not chancing this, right? Like, I got to get down there and do PTI. I can't roll the dice on that. Nah, man. They just be like, yo, yo, train here. And then you get in line and you, like, show the dude your little ticket. And then you just walk on. That's it. What? Like, it's almost like Amtrak is like, bro, ain't no tariffs getting on here. Like, for who, for what? Ain't no terror. Ain't, ain't no dope boy riding the train. Ain't worried about nothing. Ain't worried about nothing at all. So, um, I did the train thing, and can I give you more 1% problems? Because 1% problems come up. Can I give you more 1% problems? So, um, I've become first class guy. I believe I told you about this before. I'm warning all of you who regularly fly coach and don't think anything of flying coach. Um, you know how some of y'all just reach a point where you just ain't flying spirit no more, right? You just ain't flying Amtrak no more. You're not doing the Southwest thing anymore where you got to fight for your own seat. Like, you, you know, you just get to a point where this is something you're not going to do. Like after you have regularly gotten like the economy comfort or the exit row seat and everything else, right? Like after you've gotten used to that, it's hard for you to go back to like sitting in row, you know, sitting in seat 33B, especially B, right? Like you don't, you don't really want that. Um, so first class started flying first class a little bit more for work. And so here's the thing about first class. My man's in the chat room saying his job flew in first class. He never wants to fly coach again. No, 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 no. It doesn't really take once. Like somebody else said, all it takes is one time for first class. One time in first class ain't going to do it. Because one time in first class means the next time you're going to be right back at coach. And you're going to be like, wow, that trip in first class was really great. No, what happens is you have a couple in a row in first class somehow some way like you hustle to upgrade whatever it is or you get like two or three in a row in first class and you're like okay i like this then something happens and you wind up in coach and you're like yo 
it ain't no thing, right? Like, I've been doing coach my whole life. I never thought, like, this is very much so analogous to the hotel game. Like, remember when you used to be able to do the Camp- the Hampton Inn? Remember the last time you, that last time you went to the Hampton Inn and you said to yourself that you were never going back to the Hampton Inn? And there's nothing wrong with the Hampton Inn. But you're never doing the Hampton Inn again. This is a very similar situation, right? You just kind of get to a point where, nah, I ain't doing this no more, right? You don't want to do that. So I had never written Amtrak before, and as I'm booking my travel, I'm over the lady, and I'm like, by the way, um, my contract calls for first-class travel. You know, like, make sure you get your boy on whatever counts as the first class on the train. So I'm on the first class on the train. And I have to say to you, if that's what first class is on the train, I don't want to know where it is y'all be sitting. Like, I I don't want to know nothing about the life that y'all get. Like, I ordered some oatmeal because they got this menu. I ordered the oatmeal. And oatmeal, it may have been oats, but it wasn't meal. Like, all it was was, like, the Quaker Instant, except somebody, I guess, must have read wrong how long you're supposed to put that in the microwave. Yeah. So that wasn't the business. Then on the way back, the homie gets on the microphone, and he's like, yeah, something happened. We got a limited number of breakfasts. He said breakfasts, and then came back and said breakfast. And um, they had like 10 omelets. They had like four oatmeals or whatever it is. And I got lucky because they got to me first. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so that happened. And dude, Ozzy's talking about what do you expect, Bomani? It's a train. I've ridden the train in Europe before. They came through with the bomb continental breakfast. The bomb. Like y'all gotta understand, man. We get we 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 get the short end of the long term uh, transportation stick here in the United States, from what everybody has told me. Now, I've only flown American Airlines. I do. I mean, airlines in America. I have flown more than the airline American Airlines. Um, but and I think it flew KLM a couple times when I was little, and we got over seats for something. Anyway, here's what they say about airlines. The Worst European airline is better than the best American airline. And the worst Asian airline is better than the best European airline. Right? So, yeah. Worst European airline, better than the best American airline. Worst Asian airline, better than the best European airline. We all the way at the bottom, bro. Right? And that train spelled it out for me. Maybe out there talking about bullet trains and all this stuff around the rest of the world. We ain't always like, yo, get your ass on this train. Like, that's just what we got. Anyway, I am speaking on behalf of the people. They need to step up first class on the Amtrak. And just so you know, I'm not doing that for the 1%. I'm doing that for you in coach. Basically, what I'm talking about here is like, trickle-down customer service. You see what I'm saying? They step up to first class, then that, like, spread the ethos all around the gig, and then they'll do it for you. See? See? That's right, Robinson. Bo did that. So hopefully, you won't have to go through that. By the way, on this topic, I appreciate you guys indulging me um, and listening to me and understanding and dealing with 
Uh, the guy's starting to feel like almost like a confessional. Um, but, you know, I'm not comfortable with this, like, becoming a one percenter. I'm not. And you know why I'm not comfortable becoming a one percenter? Because ain't none of my friends up here. That's how. That's how. Like, I was thinking about this the other day. Now, this is the thing that happens if people just don't consider it. And, by the way, I haven't taken a single question yet. Oh, well. Um, I was talking to somebody who was, like, trying to figure out how many of your friends got rich, right? So, like, I was thinking about, like, the rich people I know who were not rich when I met them, like, legitimately rich, like, how many of them do you know? Because I really stopped and thought about it. I got one. Like, I legitimately got one. And so Big Kelvin says, define rich. Lance hit it, dentist. I tell the story all the time about one of my buddies from college. He always told me in college he wanted to go to dental school that he was going to be a dentist. He went off. He became a dentist. I knew dentists made good money, but I didn't really know that much about how much money dentists were making in part um, because um, like doctors make less than they, than they used to, right? And so I figured the same thing was going with dentists. So my man had come down to Miami. He's like, yo, think about buying some property down here. And I had just got done reading this story about how something like 70% of new home purchases in Miami were cash and these big, like these big money condos and stuff like that. Um, you have to have cash. Like, you, you needed cash in order to get it done. And so I felt like it was my obligation to warn my man. Like, look, man, you know, this is hitting for a little more. You know, even Dallas, like, it's hitting for a little more than that. Dallas real estate. And I didn't want to be patronizing, and I didn't want to feel like I was, you know, be judgmental or nothing like that. Um, I just wanted to make sure that he knew. So we're having a conversation, and he's telling me about his cars, and he shows me a picture. And... Uh, It was three cars, and the two that I remember were the Bentley and the 911. Those were the two that I remember. At the time, I was driving a 2005 Acura. Like, my crib was dope, but yeah. So you see what I'm saying? Like, how many friends do you have that have like actually gotten rich? And some of you are too young for this to even like really be a relevant discussion. Like I remember my mama once was talking about some member of her faculty, a guy that used to be on the faculty, like used to be working for her. But my man went and got a job at a different school and, uh, and he had been doing some like government contract work or whatever it was. I'll never forget. He had some event at his house for a conference. My mama went there and she came back that night. And she just could not stop talking about like all the things that were at his house and there were servants, right? Like all these things. And I'll never forget the kick alive from my mom. When I knew him, he was a member of the socialist workers party. <laughs> he went off and got rich. Like that's it. He went off and got rich. Now the thing is mess around and go off and get rich. Unless you want to pay for everybody, you got to like hang with the rich people who were already there. But I don't be liking them. Like I've tried. 
I don't really like it. Like I got a membership at this little club. Like it's not super expensive, right? Um, a couple thousand dollars a year. Um, test deductible. But anyway, like I got it and I go and I take people normally when I go and I enjoy it when I take people and we have a good time and you know, all of that stuff. But every time I get there, I'm like, yo, I don't want to hang out with none of these people. None. Like, this is, a, this is just kind of an awkward thing that happens. So anyway, I said that I appreciate you indulging me as I try to figure out how to navigate this 1% thing. Because nobody gives you a manual on it. And on top of it, nobody wants to hear you complain. Right? Like, whatever the problems are that you have that come with it or whatever, it's like, hey, man, but you got da-da-da. Nobody wants to hear you. So let me give you an example of how weird it is, like, to navigate 1% problems in that way. So I used to live in a building uh, with a valet. I didn't have a parking space, so I would have to valet the car every time. And every time I would get my car back, something would be different, right? Like it'd be 60 degrees in there or the seat's not where I left it, radio stations I'll throw, whatever it is. And to smoothly asking, is that a tip every time? I tip them on my way out of the building. Cause I had that awkward discussion myself anyway. Um, so every time I get in the car, something different. Now, if I went on Twitter and I said, I am so annoyed every time that I get in my car, something is different, right? If I told you every time I get in my car, the seat is pulled too far up. You know what I'm saying? Like any of those things. You would be like, yo, that's got to be really annoying, right? Because you know what it is to have your car and be comfortable with it. You got your little booty dimples in it where you sit down and you're perfectly comfortable and everything else, right? So like if I told you that every time I got in the car that something was different, you would be like, damn. That's really, really annoying, right? But if I tell you that, man, I live in a condo in this high rise. Yeah, dog. Jim Jones live in the building. I saw Scrappy over there the other day. Anyway, man, they valet my car every time, man. But whenever the car come around, a little short valet dude be pushing the seat all the way up and don't move it back. And then I'd be uncomfortable. When I drive my car, now it's a 1% problem, isn't it? And suddenly, you don't want to hear about it. You see what I mean? But if I tell you all these things change in my car, all these things are different every time I get in, you would ask, well, how's that work? How's that happen? And then I would have to tell you, right? And then all of a sudden becomes 1% problems. And nobody wants to hear your 1% problems. So as I adjust to this, I am fascinated by the things that happen. And I like to tell these stories here on the podcast. If for no other reason that one day some of y'all are going to be here and you'll understand like some of these navigations because nobody's helped me understand the navigations. But again, I appreciate your willingness to indulge me as I try to figure out how to be rich. And on the real, that's what it is. Right? <laughs> like, that's what it is. 
and there's nobody who cares to hear about it. Like, I have very few people. Like, what I have to do, I like talk to, like, the musicians and stuff that I've made friends with over time. And see, just happened right there. Just happened right there. This dude, PDZ, nice problems to have. No, they're not. What are you talking about that's a nice problem to have? It's a fucking problem. What is nice about these jokers always messing with your car? Because you know what I really wanted to do? Like, and this would be like the most tone-deaf thing I could do in the world. And this would make a lot of you hate me. And they'd be like, what happened to the Bomani I used to know? And stuff like that. But I'm going to tell you what it is. You ready? You here for it? You ready? You should not be allowed to work as, okay, it's not that you shouldn't be allowed to work as a ballet if you're short. Every place that has valet needs to have a dude who's 5'8", a dude who's six foot, and a dude who's six four. Or a woman. I'm good either way. That way, if a tall person gets out the car, then a tall person can drive the car into the garage and would not have to move your seat. That's right. But instead, I got this five, six dude and now I'm in the car and I can barely drive the damn thing out because my knees are in my chest. But again, that's a 1% problem. And don't nobody want to hear about it. So thank you for allowing me to figure out ways to tell you my 1% problems that you can I kind of rock with. Because I feel like me telling you, what if your car seat was in a different place every time you got in? You could relate to that. You could relate to that. Yeah. There we go. And there's Jalen. You're right. I don't want to hear this shit. And you know what, Jalen? Since you put it like that, you know what you need to do? How about you get on your grind and maybe you can valet your car too? Maybe you should do that. I think you ought to give it a try. I really do. Broke ass. Shout out to everybody who was wondering when that was going to happen. Yes, it had to come. It did. It had to come. In the words of A-Ball and MJG, you need to put a check with a check with a check. Well, all this started because I was going to tell you the deal with the car. It's already 950. Um, So, yeah, the car. I had to get a car up. Many of you remember when I bought the car. It was a very big deal. And I waited to buy the car. Like, I got the TV, I got the gig on the TV show in 2013. My contract was for four years. And I made the decision going in, I wasn't going to get the contract until year three. I mean, the car until year three. Uh, one, I need to know what the situation was, what the circumstance was, all of that. Two, I had just bought a car before I moved down there. Like, I got me a nice car, even if it wasn't a new car. That like, was my plan. I needed a car I could ride out for another three, four years. And I rode the car out, I want to say, for four years and handed it down to my cousin or whatever. Um, and so I bought the BMW M4. I bought it cash. I love that car. That car does amazing things. That car makes amazing orgasmic noises, right? Like when that car is ready to blow, ooh, it moans, right? It doesn't purr, it moans, it growls, and then it's like this, like this pop that you can hear, right? Just, ooh, man. 
you know. And for most of the time, while I had the car, I didn't really do that much with it. Afraid of getting caught speeding. Miami people don't know how to drive, whatever it is. So I didn't. So like on the, on, on the joint, it's got like this thing with these three lines on them, and as you go up on the lines, it uh it, it changed the the way the, the the I think the gear ratio or whatever changed. I don't really know the names of it, right? But I know that when you're on the one, it go into sec in the seventh gear a little bit too easily. But when you're on the two, you'd be going like eighty five in fifth gear. Right. So you get that you get that growl, boy. And I just really got into like really having the fun with it, right? I really had. What I'm gonna do with that here. You know what I'm saying? Like what I, what am I going to do with that here? Nothing. Nothing at all. So I went ahead and sold it. And kids That is a horrible way to get like a real live demonstration of how fast the value of a car goes down. I sold that thing for like 20 G's less than I paid for it. 20 G's. One year. 20 G's. But I mean, like I wasn't going to do no better. Like the other thing about having a car here, like it's not really simply um, about like you got to pay for the car. You got, I mean, you got to deal with the insurance. And actually, as I recall, the insurance is going to be cheaper here than it was in Miami. No, the issue is you got to pay to park it. Like you got to pay hundreds of dollars a month to park your car. Unless you think I was going to leave my M4 on these streets. Ah, right. So, like, the money almost winds up coming back and not having to pay, like, what was probably going to be about $6,000 a year to park. Just to park. So, yeah. Car had to go back. And people have asked, like, do you feel naked without having a car? I mean, kind of. Like, there's something interesting about New York how it just kind of compels you to walk, right? Like, New York compels me just to go outside and just be in it. And just kind of like, even if I'm just posted up outside the subway station, just sitting on a bench or something like that. Like, something about New York compels me to get out in a way that Miami never really compelled me to get out. Like, Miami didn't really compel me to get out at night. Like, New York really compels me to get out. I can be by myself. You know what I'm saying? Just go stroll. You know, go just go post up. Go find somebody. Like, all those things. You know, like, I think this is going to be good for me. Like, I'm, I had lunch with Pablo last week and it's just like i was just talking to him and i'm just like yo man like this is what i do now it's where we at like i caught up with the homie nick last night i'm like yo man this is where we are now you know like this is this is what it's become like this is the change like just about everything significance in my life is like is like flipped you know like everything's changing it's all brand new and so yeah man I'm here. I'm here. I know a lot of you guys are looking forward to the idea of me dealing with winter. Here's the thing. Those of you who want me to freeze the the most during winter, you'll be cold too. That shit you talk ain't going to keep you warm. Remember again, 1%. My coat game gonna be the strongest. The strongest.
you over there duct taping that hole in your jacket. Let me know how it goes. Let me know how it goes. But I promise you, I promise you, in the words of the great philosopher, Curtis Jackson, look, homie, I done came up and I ain't changed. I'm just letting y'all know. Not stunting. Just sharing. Just sharing. Should I take a question? Like, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't taken a If a man said I'm stunned, no, uh, PDZ, I stunned it on your punk ass because you're the one that was talking about that uh, nice problems to have. That wasn't stunt. No, 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 no. Let me, let, me, let me be clear with you about something right clear. We ain't got to take no questions. That's the question right there. Like, I want to be very, very clear with you with something on this. I go out of my way not to stunt. Like, I work really, really hard not to stunt. Like, to a point that's almost, to a degree, to my own detriment. I had a friend of mine who told me something interesting. And I hadn't really thought about this, but this is real. She was just like, you are like the rapper who still lives in the hood. Like, who made it, but, you know, don't want nobody to think that he got brand new on him or whatever it is. And it almost interferes with your ability to enjoy, you know, what it is. Like, all this stuff that's kind of happened to me, I only talk to you about it if I can really talk to you about it in a position to, like, to where it's all new and fresh. You know, and I can, like, present it to you from perspective of an outsider of sorts. Uh, I, will, I don't stunt on people on the things that I have or that I've, you know, acquired, amassed, earned, or whatever it is. When I stunt on you is when I got some shit I'm not supposed to have. That is when I was stunned on you. Like that, uh, when I was driving that I ate around that day, me and my homeboy. Yeah, that was stunt. And why was I stunting? Because I was flat out perpetrate. That's why. Like, that's when you'll get the stunt. I ain't gonna stunt on you about like a watch or nothing like that. Why? Why? Because if something happens in this watch, like I lose this watch, you fall off my wrist somewhere, everything else, I'm still gonna be this. Like, ain't none of that going to change. Like, I don't. Like, I have no desire at all to try to, like, elevate myself over you or anybody else over stuff I got. Now, I do want to get, like, I do like certain fly things. Like, I do like that my shoe game got strong off this. I do like that I turned up my watch game. I ain't going to lie. Like, as I was starting to leave Miami, people, like, recognizing me if I got the window down on the car. I'm like, oh, snap, oh, money, whatever. Hey, man, I did want to have a car. That when people would see me in it, the day would be like, yo, man, I saw Bomani. He was riding clean. Like, I did want that, right? But I ain't going to stunt on you. I ain't going to hold it over you. A, that's how you get robbed. And B, that's just not me. Like, it ain't it. I'm trying to kick it with you. Like, I'm doing the best I can to share with you some of these things, right? Because a lot of y'all are heavily invested in what's happening to me, and I'm here in large part because a lot of y'all. So I'm really trying to, like, share with you. But I do hope you understand that there ain't really never going to be a point in this where I'm trying to lord any of this stuff over you. In fact, and you can ask anybody who's ever met me, right, like who's met me in person, what I got in this that can be shared will be shared. Always. And that ain't a matter of, like, trying to, like, show. you know, that's a matter of, I got this. Let's enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's share it. Because what I'm going to do with it, right? 
half the time, I'd rather blow it on you than blow it on me, right? So, like, we can share in this. That's the way that that's always about to be. And I say, I'm dead up on this. And anybody in here that's ever been around me in person, and they can verify. Like, I ain't out here just throwing stacks of money at people like, oh, here's a little bread for you, you know? But I got you. So, no, I'm not going to stun on you. Forgive me if I'm a little bit defensive about that, but it's very important to me that people, like, understand that that's not going to be it. Like, look, I'm here, man. I am in the city. I am going to be able to do some incredible things, some great things while I'm here. And as best I can, I'm going to share with you what I've got, you know? Um, But... Like, I got to enjoy this stuff a little bit more. Like, just me personally, I have to be able to enjoy this stuff a little more. And part of why I would say I need to enjoy it a little bit more is that I spent a lot of effort, you know, basically trying not to be off-putting about those things. I'm probably off-putting enough about the other stuff. But, like, I try very hard to not be off-putting about these things. And there will never be a point where I don't try hard to make sure not to be off-putting. Um I mean, that's just not what I want to be. You know, that's not what it is. But I do want to enjoy this. And I'm express some of that enjoyment to you. And if it makes you feel bad, me doing this enjoying, you'll just have to kiss my black ass. Hey, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for joining us here on The Evening Jones. We're going to get back to doing this once a week, I promise. I'm trying to get the microphone thing fixed soon. I promise. My man, Lance Gilliam, handles everything behind the scenes. I can't thank that dude enough. You should thank him more also. Remember, if you can't catch The Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes store. Subscribe to Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud while you can. And check us out also at the Google Play Store. Hopefully talk to you guys next week. And my man said, you got a view from the crib. And the answer is, <laughs> come on now. Say what you talk about that other stuff. I had views at the last two cribs. I can't go back to the viewless life. Okay, I went off and did it. My bad. Talk to y'all soon.